Our message series is in growing deep, and it's about discipleship. It's about growing deeper in our, our walk with Christ. And, and uh, we answered, or we asked the question, and I think we gave part of an answer as to why. Why bother with, isn't it enough that we make a decision for Christ? We know that He loves us. We know that we're forgiven. Um, we know that we're accepted by Him. Isn't that enough? Why, why worry about what's next? Why, why not just, you know, kind of love God and come to church and, you know, just, just kind of go through life knowing that I've accepted Christ, I've made a decision, and that's enough. And, and the reality is, is that the reason we would say that's not enough is because Jesus promised something to everyone who would follow him. He used these terms, abundant life. Abundant life. And, and if we don't, here's what happens if we don't go deeper with Christ, if we don't follow after him in our life. We never get to that point where we really experience abundant life. We can have a great experience of a decision, but then we find that when we go through trials or hardships, it really, I've seen it over and again, it causes this disillusionment, this, this idea that, wait, I thought Jesus was going to take care of this stuff for me. I thought life was just going to kind of work out for me. And if we don't disciple and we don't go deeper, we don't realize that even in the midst of our most difficult of times, we can still experience abundant life. And so if, if you and I, if we don't really plunge our roots deep in the ground, then we have this experience in our walk with Christ. It's up, it's down, it's up, it's down. I love God. Where is God? I don't know if I love God. I don't know where He is. And we just feel, we're filled with confusion. We're filled with, filled with this idea of it matters and then it doesn't matter. And what Jesus wants for us is to get those roots deep, deep into life with Him. In fact, it's, it's kind of like, a, I, I've shared this picture, and uh, Joel Richmond has been doing, along with many others, been doing so much work out in our property and around here, uh, putting in um, some plantings. But uh, it, it's kind of like a tree with its roots. I've got a picture of a couple ones. So here's one. Here's a tree that's been in a pot, right? So you take the pot away, and you kind of see the roots. They're all compressed, and in fact, you can see they don't have anywhere to go. Down at the bottom, they get a lot thicker because they're trying to go down into something. But it's just, you know, small little roots that are all compacted in there. And that's what happens if our, the roots aren't allowed to go out. And that type of tree, of course, is just going to be pushed over easy. Anything that comes that way, it can be pulled out of the ground easily. But this next one's more of an illustration and this is, this is a tree that's healthy and vibrant, right? It's got roots that extend down and out. In fact, they, they say that oftentimes if you were to look at a tree, for as much as the canopy is for the, the visible part of a tree, there's also a root system underneath that somewhat matches that. So kind of like this, you see a big, you know, arcing tree, a, a lot of green and lush up on top. Well, that means the root system is going to be extended down equally in the same type of way in a, in a wide span to support that type of growth and the, the height that it's going to get to and the breadth that it's going to live out. It's such a good picture of what God wants for us, is that to live deeply in the abundant life that Jesus has for us, that he wants us to have these discipleship roots that really go down into the ground. In fact, Said, mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, a life that has roots deep into the life of Jesus produces the life that Jesus provides. So that's just a way of saying, listen, if we want to experience the abundant life, we have to put 
invest ourselves into the life of Jesus, we have to put our roots into Him. He is the one who brings us that life. That, that one passage out of John where Jesus is talking to the disciples, He says, he says listen, uh, I am the vine, you are the branches, and you need to abide in me. If you don't abide in me, you can do nothing. It's such a strong word. We, we think, well, surely I can do something. And, and what Jesus is indicating is you're not going to get at the life. You're not going to get at the, the, really the abundance and the, the fullness of life unless you're grafted in, unless you're really anchored into the life that he produces for you. And so I don't want to just do outward actions. Jesus doesn't want us just to do outward actions. He doesn't want us to make a decision and then slap a Christian bumper sticker on it and say, it's all good. We're, that's all there was to it. We just had to, the outside just has to look good. We have to fix it up and, and then everything is a-okay. You know, Jesus wants us to really get our roots into our life with him. And so we, in order to do that, one of the things to know what's happening uh, and this is last week's highlights, uh, is in order to really know what's happening inside, and that's where we have to go, beneath the surface. We can't just look at the act, outward actions. They are an indicator, but they're not a full indication of what's happening in my heart or in your heart. So to go beneath the surface of your life, one, you need to develop an awareness of what you're feeling and doing. We can't just put life on autopilot. We can't just you know, wake up and then just go through the motions throughout the day and then just go to sleep and then wake up and go through the motions and, and just repeat, repeat, repeat. We're intended to just be aware of everything that is happening. What is God doing in this moment? Where is he working in my life? What is it, that, what is it that's beneath the surface of my life? And I think this is a, a great question. And, and I, I pray that we can, as a, as a church family, as a congregation, this would be true of us as we go deeper in Christ. I don't know that it's true now. I think many of us uh, in this, this saying, let me tell you the difference between uh, what, what I'm, this type of saying that we often talk about. When you ask somebody, how are they? The most common response is, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. Right? That's, you know, it's good, but I'm busy. Here's, here's what I would, I would pray. Not just say, but it would be true of us. Is my life full and fruitful? Am I busy or is my life full and fruitful? What a difference, huh? It's the difference between being busy and just having so much that I don't know if any of it's really producing anything except me being more tired or is my life full and it's fruitful? If you look at the life of Jesus Christ, I think everyone would say his life was full. We'd be tempted to say he was busy because he always had crowds pressing in he had the disciples following him. He had very little alone time except for that, those times which he snuck out in early in the day or he would get away late in the evening by himself. Pressed in, people wanting him to heal. I mean, so much going on. So there might be a temptation to say, well, Jesus was busy all the time. Jesus would counter against that and he'd say, no, my life is full. I'm doing what the Father asked me to do and it's fruitful. What comes out of his life was what the Father asked him to do. So much so that when he went to the cross, he could say, not just of that moment of the crucifixion, but of his entire life, it is finished. It is finished meant, Father, I accomplished everything that you asked me to do. Every one of us I know, right? We would want to say that. 
the end of our days, we would say, I didn't just have a busy life. I had a full and fruitful life doing what Jesus had asked me to do. So the other thing is, uh, besides just being aware of what's happening in my day and not just occupying a a space on the calendar and, and filling it up, is I want to practice asking what's going on and why. What's happening? Instead of just acting upon the things that I feel, but asking why am I feeling that? What's happening? What's, what's causing me to, to respond in that way? Why do I feel angry? Why do I feel anxious? Why do I feel dread or impatient? And the temptation is to throw an easy answer at it. Well, I'm angry because those people made me angry. <laughs> right? I'm anxious because... They didn't do what they were supposed to do, so I feel anxious, right? That's one of the most common things is anger. You know, they, they made me angry. Those are the easy, quick answers. The more difficult ones are saying, well, why does what they did bring that response out of me, right? Why? And what's, what's going on inside of me? And then the last one we brought up was to give up the image of holding it all together, Give up Christian imagery of, you know, I've got life figured out and it's all together and so it's, it's working. I, I've, I know how to make it all work because the, the thing that we miss out on if we try and hold it all together and present an image that we have it all together is that we miss out on what Jesus came to provide for us. Jesus said he came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to uh, those who are sick or wounded. He came for them. Uh, those who were in mourning, he came to bring comfort. And so there's all these things that Jesus came to do, and we miss out on it if we don't recognize that we have needs. So one of the best things we can do is say, I have needs. I'm a needy person. <laughs> I need what Jesus has. And if I, ha- if I need what Jesus has, then I'm a great candidate for getting what Jesus has. But if I have this self-sufficiency I know everything I need to know. Everything Jesus has is already provided. I'm just, uh, and I'm living it out, and, and I'm in a great place right now. But if, if we give up this image of holding it all together, instead, if we come with humility and we say, I have needs, and Jesus can provide those needs, we're a great candidate for being able to not be, feel disillusioned, but to put our roots in deeper into what Jesus has provided. This morning, we, we want to visit the hesitation that often comes to us with the challenge of going deeper in discipleship. I thought, you know, what better time to address fear than with Halloween coming up at the end of the month, right? So, so we're, going to, we're going to talk about fears. What is it that keeps us, what are some hindrances that keep us to, from wanting to go deeper in our discipleship with Jesus? There's a reason probably every one of us have certain things that we have buried in our lives that we've put beneath the surface. There's a reason that there are things that we oftentimes tuck things away at a level where they don't show up too often in our life. And that reason is is because they cause us pain or discomfort. They cause us to feel disappointment. And we don't want to live with that type of disappointment every day. We don't want it right on the surface where we feel it when we see something or we hear something on a daily basis. So oftentimes what we do is we take the things that are most difficult about our lives or the most challenging that we face and we put them beneath the surface much farther down in our life. So we don't ever have to really face them except on occasions where they pop up. They 
float up to the surface because of a similar situation or that person that we've been trying to avoid who caused that pain shows up in our life or any number of other reasons. Somebody says something, it triggers a a feeling in us that makes that response come back up to the surface. So there's times where we're terribly let down or we felt betrayed or we felt abandoned. Times uh, where, like the Apostle Peter, maybe we denied the Lord. And so those are the ones the most often we really put down beneath the surface, right? We don't live with those up because the, the pain, the emotion of them, they, it feels too much to have it up on the surface. And we think, well, because it's down there, I've moved on. I've moved forward. I've moved on. It doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore because I've, enough time has gone by. It, it doesn't affect me. But for many, the reality is much different. All it takes is that person questioning your value. And it comes, what comes up, this flood of things from a history past, and you think, ah, I hate that feeling. (laughs) We think we've put it down far enough, but the enemy is allowed to use that time and time again as it's brought up by somebody reminds us by saying something that triggers that in us. Or the person, we see a picture of them, or somebody else brings up their name, and it just brings that up in us. We get anxious and in knots when we think about being around that person who betrayed us. Uh, you feel isolated or alone, regardless of how many people say they love you or that you're loved by God. You feel this sense of rejection and this inability to receive it. You feel this abandonment. And it could have happened just yesterday or it could have just been 10 years ago. But those are the types of things that I'm talking about. They go beneath the surface and we just struggle with really how to bring them to Christ. Many of us, our experience with coming to Jesus was we thought that by coming to Jesus, all of that stuff would just kind of be taken care of and we wouldn't have to deal with it ever again. He would make any of those things that are under the surface just kind of okay. Somehow, (laughs) it would just be okay. And then unfortunately, we've maybe seen it show back up to the surface at different times in our life. So those issues, those types of beneath-the-surface things that you have experienced, I've experienced, where the enemy brings them back up into your life at the most inopportune moments, where all of a sudden you just feel so inadequate, so out of control, you feel so abandoned, you feel angry beyond belief because that person still is doing things to other people that they did to you and you're just... Rage comes over you and you want to see things happen to them that you wouldn't repeat in church. (laughs) Those are the types of things that I'm talking about. Now, some of you may say, you know, Pastor Andy, there's really, you know, nothing like that. I haven't had those types of traumatic experiences like you're talking about. And and for you, I would say that's that's wonderful. That is by God's grace and, and just that you haven't experienced something like that in your life, that type of thing that's really driven that beneath the surface at a, at a level that I'm talking about. But I want to encourage you, this is still for you. Because it's not a comparative thing. It's not where you say, well, my stuff isn't as bad as the other person's stuff seated next to me or the things that you're talking about. That's okay because it's important that you and I learn even at the most, what might seem more insignificant or smaller things in our life, to bring those to Jesus right away as well. I was reflecting about some of my early experiences, and, and this, I know, will, will 
sound for some of you, you know, very traumatic, but I, I just want to give you a picture like how I, as I reflect over my life, opportunities I had to have things that I could learn to grow and, and have things more on the surface, but where I put them down lower. So w- when I was five years old, my, uh, my folks got me a cat. I, I, named, uh, I named her Whitney. It was a girl cat named, uh, named her Whitney. And, and uh, so we ha- I had her all growing up. And then when I got to junior high, um, uh, I came home from school and my mom and stepdad, they said, you know, uh, Whitney died. We don't know how, but we found her in the backyard and she was back there. My response to that was so flippant as I think back. It was just kind of like, oh, bummer. Well, just, just bury her in the backyard somewhere, I guess, you know, and kind of, kind of move on. Now, some of you go, what's wrong with that? And others of you go, wow, that's kind of cold. And, and it was, honestly, it was probably even more colder than I'm talking about it. But see, that, that would be, you know, if, and, and again, I, I never, when I speak, I'm never trying to call out my parents' parenting style, but their approach to that situation wasn't to go farther with me and say, hey, let's talk about this for a second. It was like, okay, well, let's just bury the cat and move on. Everything's okay. But for a kid who had a cat from five years old until that time and to experience loss, clearly there was something I was struggling with, right? And my parents, after that time, had already gone through their divorce. My family was fragmented. So between five years old and junior high, there was enough brokenness in there. There was a pretty clear indication I had difficulty dealing with loss in a healthy way. And so what do you do with loss? You just move on. You don't acknowledge it. You just move on because nobody's going to do anything about it anyways. You can't control it. You can't do anything. So thank you for giving me a moment to be on the couch here while you help me process this out loud. But I'm telling you, the reason that if you say, well, I haven't had that type of traumatic experience. No, but if you, like I when I was younger find yourself not dealing with loss and grief and the things that typically end up getting buried down below, right? When I'm thinking of loss and grief, where does my mind go at 50 years old? It goes back to when I'm a middle schooler, a junior higher, to the time I lost my cat. Interesting, isn't it? (laughs) Doesn't that tell you something about the process by which I handle some of those things that I just put them down low, had... I've done that in the past. And so the opportunity for Jesus is to say, what's happening inside? Why do you do that? And what's, what's going on? So this morning, as we look at some of those fears that sometimes we face, I want us to pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to guide our talk and, and the scriptures that we look at so that we understand how do we overcome the fears that keep us from wanting to go deeper with Jesus and allow him to touch those places in our life that we have oftentimes so guarded, we have so protected from other people and the Lord himself so that we don't have to deal with those areas of our life. Lord, we thank you for your grace given to us. Um, Father, I know this is a difficult environment for for us with people around to to open ourselves up to you in a way that uh, allows you to get to some of those inner things, inner workings in our life. Lord, but I pray 
that uh, even if we can't process it all the way through this morning, I pray that you would help us to at least start that path of considering what you might want to do under the surface of our lives. And so, Lord, I thank you for your word. I bless your word, and I thank thank you for its power that it gets, as your word says, it gets down to the deep points of our lives, dividing out uh, those truths and the lies that exist and that we've believed. And ask you, Lord, to come with your authority and your kindness and mercy at this time. Amen. So, we pick up with this idea that um, we have fears when it, when it comes to this idea of going deeper. Here's why it's important that we kind of are willing to bring it before Jesus, is because the things that we bury do surface. And I want us just to acknowledge that. The things that we bury, if we don't deal with them with the Lord, if we don't surrender what's happening in our heart to Jesus... The enemy will use it against us for evil. He will use it to manipulate. He will use it to create fear. He will use it to isolate you from people. He will use it to wreak havoc on other relationships that you have. He will use it to keep you at arm's length from God himself. Because the enemy will take everything in your life and he will use it to steal, kill, and destroy. Those are the words of Jesus. And so he'll even take your pain, which you thought was painful enough, and he'll use it again, and he'll use it again. And he'll get as much mileage out of that pain point in your life as he can get. God, however, if we'll bring to him our deepest difficult points under the surface, says he will take it and he will use it for his glory and to transform us more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. He can't necessarily take that moment and make that moment all good, because it's happened. But what he can do is take the outcomes of that moment, and he can transform you through it and allow healing to come in your life. So that so much so, in fact, and maybe you've already experienced this, or if you've experienced it from somebody else, so much so that you could be a healing agent in the kingdom of God for somebody else who is going through a similar experience. I've seen it over and over again. Amen? The power of Christ where he takes just an absolute train wreck of an experience, broken, you look at it, and and I have seen things that I just said, God, nothing good can come out of this. This This is just a terrible, terrible situation. You just want to look away from it. And I've seen where God has moved into that moment and the person has given God access to their life and said, God, I don't want to live with this. I don't want to carry this around. And God has completely flipped it around to the point where people have been changed more than just the individual. Others around them have been changed by God's power. And so that's what we're hoping for and that's what we're praying for this morning. It takes moving past our fears though. The first of our fears, I'll bring those up and then I want to bring up two scriptures that help us to address these. One is, what if it doesn't help? What if it doesn't help? What if I bring this stuff to Jesus, these pains or these things that are beneath the surface, and after I do that, that it just really isn't better? I really want to know that if I bring this up, I can put it all behind me for good, and it's all going to be better. But what if I bring it up, 
and Jesus is able to help me. That's a real fear that people have. Why should I go to this pain point? Why should I bring up something that is difficult for me if I don't have a guarantee that I'm going to be able to move past it and it's all going to be better? So, so that's a fear that people have. Second, what if they don't change? So this one addresses the pains that we experience at the hands of other people. And this is very often the point of our difficult points in our life where our deepest pains are that they've come at the hands of other people because of other people's actions. So the fear is, what if I bring this up and my hope is that person's going to change or those people are going to change? And so I don't want to go there if I don't know that they're going to change as a result of this, that they're going to come and apologize to me. They're going to feel sorry for what they did to me. That's a fear that people have. They say, I don't want to go into this if they're not going to change. Here's another one. What if God doesn't fix it? <laughs> and so if, God, if I don't know for sure that God's going to fix it and make it all okay, what's done is done. It's in the past. I'm just going to move on. It's all in the past. It doesn't matter. So let's, let's just move on because I don't have a guarantee that this can be made right. And so I, I just want to move on from there. So each of these fears that I've brought up, they all have a common thread. They all have this common thread, control. That's one of the things we struggle with the most is that I don't have control over this thing. I don't have control of the outcomes of what happens if I bring it before the Lord. He may have control, but I don't feel like I have control over what happens next. So if I don't have control... I want to keep possession of it. I want to keep it buried. I want to do my best to control it beneath the surface so that it doesn't get out of hand or it's not dealt with in a way that I'm not ready to deal with. If they're not going to ask for forgiveness, I don't want to bring it up because that feels very out of control to me. I don't know where that's going. The reality is <laughs> we don't have control. We don't have control over other people. We don't have control of their responses. We don't even have control of the stuff that's beneath the surface because that's why it keeps coming to the surface at times in the most inopportune times where we just wish, oh, no, 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 not now, not now. I don't want to feel that right now. And yet we have no control over it. It still comes up. And that's what frightens people the most. They're all really valid fears in the sense that they, that really could happen in the sense of, we may not know what the outcome is. Except in a very broad sense that God loves us, that He cares for us, and He wants to accomplish what He said He wants to, which is to heal and make all things for His glory and for our good. But apart from that, we don't know other people's responses. But here's what we do have. Here's the responses we do have. And so I'll bring up these scriptures and this is where we bring this before the Lord. We have control over our ability to forgive and to love. Leaving judgment and justice to God. That's across the board, that's the one thing every one of us has control over. Our ability to forgive, to love, and surrender justice and judgment to God. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21 says this. One of the most powerful verses, I believe, in the New Testament. 
Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, so listen, there's already a condition given with this requirement, but it's very clear. If it is possible, for as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So let's address the first issue of having control over the outcomes of how other people respond. You and I don't have that. So the things that are buried beneath the surface, if the reason that we're not willing to go there and open up our most inner being to God and saying, what good is it going to do if they're not going to apologize? You're right. They, you, they may not apologize. They may not come and ask for your forgiveness. They may not respond even. They may accuse you again of doing something wrong by even bringing it up. Well, listen, here's, here's the, the encouragement that Scripture gives is if you're holding on to that, if you're holding on to that wrong in hopes that they will respond a certain way, or that you can extract or hope that revenge will be extracted upon them, some type of judgment. It's not working out well for you. I know it's not. It never does. It just eats up inside of us. We're not meant to hold on to anger and feelings of bitterness and resentment and wanting revenge on others. And so that's why the instruction here is, listen, don't repay evil for evil. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Hmm. I want to tell you, that brings such conviction to me. As much as it depends on you and I, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. If you are intent on getting your full measure of revenge on somebody for what they've done to you, there's an indication here that to the degree that you get your wrath, that God doesn't repay His full wrath. That you've extracted a measure of punishment for wrongdoing that never gets paid out. But if on the other hand, you surrender it to God, you leave room for God to handle the situation exactly as He sees fit and exact His justice for any wrongdoings that have been done. If you hold on to it, there's two things that will happen. One, you may never get the opportunity to exact your revenge, so you live with it. And two, even the revenge that you exact will never feel like it was enough. Because what you and I feel beneath the surface we never feel like we can get enough out of that person, the pound of flesh that we've been waiting to get. And so that's why the instruction is here, the encouragement. Listen, that stuff beneath the surface, if you're fearful that it's not going to work out, you're not going, the person's not going to respond correctly, that's part of what you and I have to surrender to God. Lord, you are more just than I am. You know the, the toll that those people, people's actions or that individual actions have taken on my life. And so, Lord, I have to trust you with that so that I can be free of this, 
so that what's beneath the surface in my life doesn't carry me, doesn't burden me, but I can be free of this knowing that even if I don't see it in this lifetime, that they will stand before you and just like myself, they'll give an account for everything that's happened in their life. And it's only by the grace of Jesus Christ that they will withstand any judgment before you is if they've come to Christ themselves. So the intent of this, the idea of this, is that it's not ours to avenge. We can, we can release it. We can allow God to go deep into our life and deal with those things we've been holding on to just by saying, I'm not holding on to it for the sake of others. Lord, I want to be free of it myself. I, I want to be able to allow that person not to have any control over me any longer. But I want to be able to release them to you so that I can release myself fully to you. The other passage of Scripture is Ephesians 4, verses 8 through 11. And it's similar to the one I just read. The church in Ephesus, Paul writes, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. There's our measuring stick. How do I forgive others? What What's the determination as to whether they're worthy of my forgiveness? Well, what did Christ, how did God forgive me? He gave me his son, whether I deserved it or not. So I don't have control over others' actions. There's, There's the hard reality. So if I've got stuff buried beneath the surface, if there's things in my heart that I'm holding on to in hopes that this other person will respond the way that I want them to respond or they'll get the justice that I think they deserve or I don't know how it's going to work out in the end so I'm holding on to this stuff. The encouragement in both of these passages is listen, when we hold on to our hurts, when we hold on to bitterness, when we hold on to pain, instead of bringing it before the Lord, the only person it continues to hurt and be wounded by over and over is ourselves. And our greatest fear that we're going to have lose control over it is already being realized in our life because we don't really have control over that stuff, which is why it keeps showing up to begin with. So the real answer, here's the gospel. Jesus Christ came so that you could live and I could live freely and lightly. That in your soul, in your innermost being, you could feel just freedom. That when you look at this person or that person, or you think about the person who wronged you, you can just say, my heart is so light. Nobody owes me anything in this life. It's all been covered by Jesus Christ. People, I want to tell you that's the life that Jesus came to bring you. And so the stuff that sometimes we get down in there and we say, Lord, don't touch that. That's, that's off limits. I'm holding on to that because that, that, that's not a safe place. It's not safe for other people to be around. That's not even safe for me. I don't want to go there. I don't want to deal with my disappointments with my parents. I don't want to go there with my disappointments with my siblings. I don't want to go there with my own failures and how I failed other people. I don't want to bring that back up because it reminds me of, what a terrible person I am and how I did terrible things in my past. And the Lord would say, we're not going there to accuse you. I don't want to go there to shame you. I don't want to go there to, to, to make you feel like you're less than. I want to go there so that you can be rid of it all. 
So you can be freed up and just know that you're loved and, and you're accepted and you're forgiven and, and you're, you're enough in my eyes so that you can receive everything that Jesus Christ has for you. So I finish with this. I have no control over others' actions, but in Christ I have control of my responses. God, through His Holy Spirit, has empowered you. You are not in this place, in this point. If you've received Jesus Christ, you are not a victim of everybody else's actions to you. You are free to love, to give of yourself, to forgive, to experience abundant life as Jesus Christ has brought it to you. There is not a single person, there is not a principality or power who can rob you of what Jesus Christ has provided for you. The only person who can limit you from experiencing what Jesus Christ has for you is you. And so that alone should drive you and I to our knees just to say, Lord, I don't want to just get past and bury that stuff and overlook it. I want my whole life, inside out, to be completely yours. Any bitterness, anger, malice, jealousy, anything that's residing beneath the surface, shame that drives that stuff below, anything that I've been pushing on and then like a jack-in-the-box that just pops up the most... Some of you just scared at the fact that I just brought up a jack-in-the-box. That idea, oh, you know, that's what it's like. You know, you've experienced that type of pain. You just thought it just shows up. Listen, Jesus Christ wants to set us free of that type of, that very type of thing. That as we disciple more deeply with him. So, leave room for God's justice. Hear that. Leave room for God's justice. Surrender it to him so that he can... He can exact whatever justice needs to be taken. Forgive, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. So again, it's not whether they deserve it, not whether they've groveled enough, not whether they've said the right things. Again, the measuring is, how did God forgive you? Before you were even His friend. Before you even acknowledged Him, He forgave you when you were His enemy. When you were working against them. So he says, that's the way that we forgive. Is before they even ask for it, you can forgive. Now, you may not be reconciled. That's a different thing. But you can forgive without anybody even asking for it. You can release it to them. And then the last is, we are free from the controls of being overcome by what's in our hearts. Because even though our heart would condemn us, even though our fears would condemn us. God doesn't condemn us. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Worship team, if you'll come forward, we want to be, uh, begin our response time now. And every week, uh, we have communion up at the front of the platform on either side. And uh, if you're a follower of Christ, that's what communion is for. It's your identification with the life that he has purchased for you. And so this morning, if you want to come forward and identify with Jesus and receive the sufficiency of his life for you, communion's a great way you could respond. Another way is just during our worship time. You may just, in your worship to God, you may just want to express 
that you are available to him by raising of your hands or placing your hands out this way, just saying, Lord, I give you full access to even the deep places of my heart where shame or anger, bitterness reside, where that revenge, that hunger for revenge on that person is still there. Lord, I, I yield myself to you and give you access to my whole being. So that may be during worship time, it might be your response. And then, of course, our, our prayer team, and I really want to encourage you to take advantage of this. They're, they're there every week. They're back in our prayer room. And there may be something that, as I was talking about, I didn't even have to list a name or a, a place of brokenness. That person just came right to the front of your mind. Like, they're the one. They're the one that I... It's so unresolved. I want them to experience pain. I want them to experience the same pain that they have given to me. And so maybe you need somebody to partner with you in prayer of just releasing that to Jesus. It could be that it's your own shame. You just say, I just can't forgive myself. I live with this under the surface constantly of how I failed these people, my family, or I failed this person, or even God himself, the way that I've failed in my walk with Christ. And this morning, you just go back to the prayer room and allow them to pray with you. Pray, pray through it and just speak out to God, Lord, I bring this to you. And, and they want to partner with you so that you're not in it alone. So would you join me in, in our response time? <clears throat> the reason we can do this, the reason we want to do this, the reason I, as a pastor, am longing for us to, to kind of get to the point where this is just norm for us is because I truly believe, and I believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, you understand this too, this idea of Jesus came that you might have life and have it to the full. I have this conviction that as I look out over the church all around the world, but especially I'm just familiar with our own culture and our community. And I have this conviction that there's something that's missing. We're not quite there yet. <laughs> there is still more to be lived of that fullness. There's, there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of baggage that seems to be drug along into this relationship with Jesus. And, and that doesn't mean that we don't hurt, we're not broken. It just means that if we're living freely and lightly, it means Jesus is with it, in it. And so the heaviness of it, the brokenness of it, the terror of it, having control and authority over us is gone. So that we can know him and be known by him. And we can love in such a way that is just contagious. That people would look at us and say, I want that. Wow, the way that they, they're not burdened down, the way they don't get angry at people, so they're not so easily offended. That's the invitation that I'm praying that we would take hold of and walk out day by day, week by week. So Lord, we bring you ourselves. It's the best that we have. We don't have riches and splendor, and even if we did, you wouldn't want it. Lord, what you want is us. You want the fullness of our life and not just the surface discipleship, not just what we present, but Lord, you want the deep down all the way to the heart, the deepest points of our life. You want all of that. 
And so, Lord, we commit to you and we say, yes, Lord, that's what we signed up for. That's what discipleship is, is that nothing is off limits to you. No experience we've had, no disappointment, no point in our life, emotion, no no self-loathing, whatever it is about ourselves, Lord, nothing is off limits to you. You get all of us so that you can make us whole and in the image of your son. So Lord, we, we give you this time. Lead us through our response now to you that we would know you more fully in Jesus' name. Amen.